right. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Whoa. There should be joy in the room this morning. Amen. We got more than many reasons to celebrate. I get the honor and the privilege of following that worship set and then following my wife. I should have probably let her preach, right? Don't you agree? She did a great job. Let's give it up for that, that team, man. Wow. I'm so... I'm. So, yeah, I know. I'm such a lucky guy, man. Having Rosie in my life has been great. I, I, I love it. I love it. She's great. She's such a good support to me. She believes in me, man. That's important. That's important. You know, because sometimes I don't even believe in myself, okay? To have a wife that supports you and believes in you, I mean, I'm so thankful and grateful for her. I love you, babe. I'm not going to cry today. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just bur bursting with joy. I mean, to see God accomplish what he's accomplished in just such a short year, I mean, it's been, it's been great. I told you, man, we're having so much fun down here. You know, um, you know people in, in, in the ministry, you know, friends in the ministry in the state tell me, like, how do you get people to come to this elementary school when you guys have service? How do you, how do, you do it, man? I said, I, honestly, I don't know. We just kind of go in there, have family, and, and just enjoy one another, welcome people in, and just are as genuine as we can be. I am this guy at home, too. This is me. You, if you see me at the grocery store, this is who I am, okay? So uh, this is the guy that I am. So I, I just, I'm so thankful that we get to celebrate one year of this ministry that God has given us the opportunity. Because like Ricky was saying, it's not about us really, guys. You know, it's about the work that God is doing through the ministry and the people that have come alongside this ministry and what he's able to accomplish. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. So, so many things have taken place in our church here so far, even this year. I mean, if you look at January 19th, we celebrated our family nights were back and we talked about the plan in 2024. We had tacos for dinner, record-breaking attendance, and we loved it, okay? Then we come the following Friday on January 26th and we have our members meeting. We casted votes. We were so official that night, weren't we? Everything went according to book, no hiccups. Everything was to the point. We had no mess-ups. It was perfect. No, I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You could tell it was our first one. I apologize. I apologize. You know what the worst part about that is? That next year when we do our members meeting again, we get to review those minutes one more time. So we can't put that behind us just yet. Okay? Now, um, we voted for a budget. We, we, you voted me in as your pastor. Good luck to you on that. We had smoke pit for dinner, and it was another record-breaking attendance night for us as a church. This past Sunday, we had our first missions window of 2024 uh, with missionaries Mickey and, and Jen Daniels, and they brought us an overview of their success in their ministry, what they're looking forward to do in 2025, and how we can partner and be a part of that. Mickey asked me at the end of the service, hey, you guys want to come to Ecuador with us? And take a team out there? And I was like, listen, Mickey, stop playing around. I'll do it, you know? <laughs> So um, just a lot of great things to be thankful for. Now, during this time and prior to it, we started this series called All Things New. And I was, I'll be honest with you, I was going to hop off this series in, in, in February. But I felt like this is something that we needed to keep going into the month of February. So I'm going to keep going. All right. And I hope you're okay with that. Because we know when we started this series that facing 2024 was obviously going to have in our lives some new things that were going to come about with our church, with our lives and personal, personally, okay? We thought, that, we thought that what better way to do it and to start a new year than by looking at Jesus and the way he started and how he began his ministry. 
So we've been focusing on the gospel of Mark, as I told you, it's one of the shortest gospels, and it is the shortest gospel, and I like to call it today's gospel because it, it's the now gospel, it's straight to the point, and that's how I love to communicate, you know, get to, get to the bottom of it, you know. You ever gotten home, and, 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 and when you asked your wife, and you said, how was your day, and then she asked me, how was my day, those two answers tend to be very different, right? Maybe it's just at our home, babe. So, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like I land the plane, right? I almost crashed the thing when she asked me, how's everything been, right? I just like, boom, you know? I tell Rosie, what's for dinner, okay? And it's like, so I went to the grocery store, right? And then when I got there, it was so busy. Then I forgot that I was trying to buy something. I'm like, listen, we're just having chicken, right? Like, what? <laughs> it's like the plane just spins and spins and it doesn't land, you know? Um, but that, that's one of the things I love about the gospel of Mark is that it's straight to the point. It gets to the bottom of it. It gives us that portion that we need. I call it today's gospel because we're such in a, in a society, in a culture today that we want it now. We want it very fast. He's not very worried about the details and the backgrounds of these events, but instead it gives us this now event, what's in front of us. Last time we left on, on verse 20 of chapter 1, and we finished with the idea that God is not looking for an upgraded version of yourself. In fact, in verse 17, Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you. Amen? If you just follow me, I'll make you. Amen? And then immediately the Bible says he called them and they followed him. Okay, we see a Jesus not only calling people to listen, but we see a Jesus calling people to follow. We see Mark constantly making this term and this concept immediately. In chapter 1, the word immediately is named, you find it eight times. Not only that, but between verses 20 through 21 and 39, there are three stories that happen, and it all took, this, it all took place on, during the same day. I mean, Mark is just dumping a lot of information into one segment of Scripture, and we're having to spend a little bit of time slowing down, following it. And I think to myself, could you imagine being there, watching this happen? It's like Mark is saying, hey, we are on the move. Jump on this train. This guy moves a little bit different. You have never seen this before. You better get on with it. We're going. Immediately, he said. And immediately, he went. And immediately, and you're like trying to keep up with all of it. And I love it. Okay? I love it. So we're going to jump, jump on right where we left off in verse 21 to 22. Okay? We'll have the scriptures up on the screen. Um, you guys ready? I'm pretty fired up, but I'm, I'm just joyful today. It's going to be that kind of a day, so just hang on with me here, okay? Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And again, we see that word immediately that shows up in Scripture. But as Mark begins to lay the foundation of this gospel account, he purposely establishes one of Christ's key attributes, his authority. His authority. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. The entire sermon is going to be about Jesus' authority. I want you to know him this way. 
I want us to prioritize knowing Jesus for who he is and what authority he, he works with within our lives. Amen? One of the worst experiences I have ever had, okay, and this is important because if we don't know, and we talked a little bit about this on Friday, if we don't know truly who Jesus is, we'll miss it. And our relationship would be on balance with him. If we don't uh, comprehend the control and the authority that he operates even actively in our lives, we're going to miss the entire thing. One of the worst experiences I had is I, I, was, I was one of the teaching, uh, I was part of the teaching team in one of the, the, the largest Hispanic church here in the state of North Carolina. And I would, I would speak in front of 600, 700 people constantly, but this church would do door-to-door -door evangelism. So on Saturdays, I was a young adult at the time, or I don't know where we met. I don't know how long it was. Maybe we were married at the time, and we would go door to door, okay? And I would go through apartment complex, and I would spend the Saturday for three or four hours just door to door knocking. And um, the Hispanic community is a little bit more open to that than, than the American people where they tell you, get off my lawn, and then you can't even share the good news with them. But so at the time, that was a little bit more effective, okay? Um, so, yeah, no, it's the truth. You know it. So I'm not taking shots on anybody. Listen. <clears throat> so I, I was, I, I remember this one time of, 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 of me knocking on this door and it, it always stuck with me because it was such a humbling experience because I, I knock on this door and this person opens the door. Okay. And I'm like, man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm preaching this sermon to this person. And I'm just, I mean, 20, I'm 15 minutes in, like, you, are you hearing what I'm saying here? You know? The life-changing power of Jesus is here now, and it can transform your life. And the lady says, Pastor Moises, I know who you are. I go to your church. I sit there and listen to you speak all the time, okay? And after 15 minutes of me, like, laying out the scripture, you know, and it, <laughs> I, 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 say, I say I was so humble. It was so weird, okay? I, I, I had such a, it was so difficult because I was just like, oh, and I didn't know the person's name. Okay? Yeah, I know. It was bad. It was bad. Okay. I say all that to say that when we're looking at the person of Jesus, it seems like everybody knows who he is. You ask in our world that you won't meet one person that does not know who Jesus actually is. I'll take it a step further. Some people, most people say they actually like Jesus other than those rebelling against him. I mean, you got Miley Cyrus. He, she's got his name on his on her wrist. You got, uh, what's the other guy, Justin Bieber on his rib cage? Oh, Katy Perry was the one that had the name on the wrist. Miley Cyrus sung that she got so high that she saw Jesus, she thought. That's what she said. That's another song. I, yeah. I, I, I don't believe her. I mean, you, you name anybody, you got, you got Taylor Swift, you got all these people, all these people, presidents, they always name dropping Jesus into their current scenario or different things that they're involved with. Actually, Barna just released a study that says that the vast majority of Americans have a po positive view of Jesus and 63% of people in the U.S. say that they have made a personal commitment to him. This doesn't sound like our country, does it? <laughs> I knew when I was writing all this down, I was like, people are like, no way. 
because that's not what we hear. Tim Keller actually uh, made this uh, comment about the New York City when, when he was presented with this. He says, around here, you ask anyone about Jesus, and they'll tell you they love Jesus. But then when you ask them a little bit more about what Jesus actually said and what he actually did, they very quickly find how people know very little about actually what he did and said and who he actually was. Because from a standpoint in this country, people tell you, I know Jesus, I know who he is, I like Jesus, I've been a Christian all my life. But when you actually ask those people, what does that represent? What does that mean to you? How does he operate in your life? What did he say about this? What did he say about that? Very, uh, very often you'll hear people say, ah, I don't know. He's just this God that I, I, I fell in love with a long time ago. So many people will say, yes, I love Jesus, but they don't know that much about him. And the problem with this is because people end up filling the blank and they don't, when they don't know a part of Jesus. You end up constructing this idea of who he is because you don't seem to understand it. You end up assuming that Jesus is a certain way when he really isn't. Like a guy who refuses to ask for directions when he's lost. Okay? It's the guy that's driving around. You need, you need directions? No, I got it. And when we do that, we get into this constructed idea of Jesus that it's just kind of your own personal version of a Savior. That fits into a specific mold that was created by you and accepted by you. And the problem with our own version of Jesus that one that we make up is that he tends to look a lot like us and not as much like him. He's a Jesus that agrees and defends our personal position and preferences. But the real problem is that this made-up Jesus doesn't have the power to transform you. Because he's been turned into your own version of yourself. Listen, if our version of God never challenges us, if we have a spirituality where our version of a deity agrees with whatever our preferences is at the time, we don't have a God. God is just you. And I wrote this down and, and put it up on the screen because it says, the version of the gospel you accept will determine the pathway of discipleship you walk. And if you create that personally and you walk by that, then it's a watered-down concept of faith in the first place. So if we want to be challenged and convinced and transformed into what God created us to be, then we need to meet the real Jesus. That's exactly what Mark is trying to give us. He's trying to give us the true version of our Savior, of Jesus, as he introduces him. Most scholars um, across the board um, know that, that, that Mark was the, the gospel who, that, was ever, that was written. The first gospel that was written. It was written around the 50s, and, uh, late, late 50s or early 60s. Put it into context, Jesus dies around the, 30, the, the, the in the middle of the 30s, okay, A.D. And for those first couple of years, so many people that knew Jesus were alive and could tell stories about who he was and what he was really like. 
you would say something crazy about Jesus and there was actual people alive that would be able to correct you and say, no, that's not who he was. That's not what he said. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to, to the present, but somehow fallen asleep. So there were actual people that had witnessed the power-changing move of Jesus. But then as time passed, people ended up passing away. And it made it important for these gospels to come together in an accurate way and form a consistent, accurate account of Jesus' life. So then Mark introduces Jesus, and Jesus sort of introduces himself, and the Bible says he taught them as one having authority. Okay? That, that original word in the Greek, authority, is used to convey dual sense of meaning, might and right. Almost like you could understand it as righteous might. It speaks of the power to execute one's will and agenda, but more than that, it reflects a power that it isn't subject to abuse. This is important. But an ability that lies in the proper hands, aren't we thankful for that? It's effective without being defective. That's what you'll never hear me say, thank the man upstairs. Because there's no man up there. Thank God for that. And all the women said, amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we notice the reaction of the people who hear his teachings. They perceive he had an authoritative quality that was unique and different from anything they had encountered before. Anything they had heard before. Paul refers to this type of authority as something that is a little bit difficult to comprehend because it works differently than what we're used to. And this is what's important for us to comprehend. We look at Jesus' authority and his control, and we only gauge it by our life experience. So we tend to be reserved towards it because we don't want the same things that have happened to us in the past to take place again. 2 Corinthians 10, the beginning of verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This is the guy with authority he's talking about. We misunderstand the word meekness. We think meekness represents weakness. When the word meekness represents power under control. We're dealing with a God that's all powerful, all able, but he finds a way to control that and not give you the same experience of authority and control that you've experienced in your lifetime with other people. But we don't trust it. It's difficult for us to comprehend. This makes it extremely difficult for us to understand for that same reason, because anytime he could operate in full power, and sometimes he doesn't. So we say to ourselves, this guy is unfair. People are dying. There's hurt all around me, even with me in my own personal life. Haven't you had the best week with God at times? <laughs> Woo! I mean, we staged that. Ricky actually has a button that he presses, okay? And I, he's been reviewing my sermon this week. He's going to add in those things. Put the guns away. We're safe, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
Woo! Man, uh, where was I at? That threw me off, honestly. I, I'm acting nonchalant about it, but oh boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it, it, it becomes a little bit difficult for us to comprehend. And um, because anytime he could operate in full power, we, we compare that to our lives and we say so many times he has let me down and he hasn't done what I thought he could do. And the people around me, I saw this one person experience this one thing, and it was really difficult for that person to deal with what they deal with, whether it was through sickness. We know God has the power to heal, so why didn't he heal them? The whole question of what do good things happen to, what do bad things happen to good people, you know? But this is what Mark wants us to see about Jesus and comprehend and believe. He wants us to understand that he is the only one in control. Not only what that, but he wants us to know that you want him to be the only one in control. And the authority that people sense by his words weren't something that Mark was just talking about. He wasn't just telling us, this guy's got the power. He's saying, let me show you what this power can do. And we go into verse 23 to 26. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have, we, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice. He came out. He cried out with a loud voice. He came out of him. Now, Jesus exercises his authority when confronting this demonic power that was accustomed to terrorize people. Take note on how this demon alludes to Jesus' authority. He says to him, you are the Holy One. Okay? When, when, when it's all said and done, the demon is cast out, the vic victim is delivered, and Christ, his righteous might, it's, it's undeniably witnessed by people. This guy has a different level of power here that we're seeing. It's funny because it happens so quickly. You know, usually deliverance in those times would take a little bit longer. And I love the idea that Jesus presents where he doesn't give room to the enemy. I, I, you, you've been here before. I've had two supernatural experiences in my life when I was um, a young adult, okay? One time I was leaving, living in an apartment by myself, okay? And I learned this very early on. My dad told me, Moises, you don't give room for it. You know what I'm saying? I, I've, heard, I, I've, heard, I've heard pastors say, I, I sat down in the morning and I was having coffee and I said, devil? So they're having coffee with the devil already early in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not about that life, okay? I don't want to talk to him. I want nothing to do with him. He has no room in my life, okay? That battle has already been won, okay? I mean, I, I, you know what I'm saying? What do I got to say to him? Like, you're dead. You're defeated, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. So I, I, I had this encounter with... This is my story, my objective truth. Here it goes. I'm asleep. I'm living in an apartment in, in, in Providence, and I'm literally asleep, sound asleep. And, and I used to be super into the movie Troy. I, I told you guys before, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all, of all time. Um, everyone said amen here in the front row. Yeah, let's go. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like, I'm sound asleep. I got my dog named Tony. He's sleeping next to me, okay? And he, boom, I hear very loud noise. All, everything in my house starts turning on, okay? I got really scared. I'm in seminary school. I'm like trained for this moment, you know? Um, 
I'm living by myself. My dad's not around. Usually I would just run to his room and say, Dad, there's something weird here. Get up. I need the Bible verses. Come on, spit them out, you know. Um, but no, I, I get up. I get up in the middle of the night, and boom, the lights start turning on, and, and, and the movie Troy was in the surround system in the DVD player. I'll, I'll explain to you what that is later if you need. And the volume goes all the way up, and the beginning of the movie is like, and then the lights come on. I, I kid you not. You're like, man, this guy is making I, this. It happened to me. I got really scared. I started to feel this pressure on my chest, and I, I just said, Lord, nah, this is not going to happen. I literally get up, and I start praying, and I start turning off everything. I don't start talking to anything, you know. I quoted the Bible verse, you know. And I, that's, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep, and everything will be fine. I, you know, God is with me. Uh, we're good. We're good. There's nothing to worry about here. And I literally turned everything off and went right back to sleep. You're like, man, what a letdown. Worst movie ever here, <laughs> you know. You were expecting some kind of heroic story. It's not coming. I had another experience while I was coming from a young adult event. Really, and guys, I honestly go into my parents' front door. I was living with him at the time. I had moved back into the house. It is a long story, okay. I go back in. There's something behind me. I could feel it, okay? And I literally, before I go up the steps, get into my room, before I close the door of my room, I'm like, no, I'm going to sleep. You know what I'm saying? I'm at peace. My Lord is with me. I got nothing to fear. Good night, you know? Hey. <laughs> but, but I love the idea that darkness should not be acknowledged. In both of those instances, I slept like a baby. Never had any issues. Okay, the whole night. Not an unsettled baby like one of those babies that sleeps all night, okay? But what makes this event so unique is that Jesus exercises just that. Exorcisms back in those days used to take a little bit longer. They used to spend a little bit more time. They'll actually perform the acts invoking a power, a name, and Jesus is saying none of that. I mean... This demon starts to scream, and Jesus just says, be quiet, come out. Worst exorcism movement ever. Like, I, I mean, the movie ended. The credits came up. Okay? But what made Jesus so unique is that people were having a hard time figuring out, how does this guy not fit in the box that we're used to dealing with? Okay? What we see in this story is that it wasn't really about the fight. That wasn't about the story. Because in the verse, in the Bible, it says that this guy was demon. It doesn't say that this guy was demon possessed. Instead, it said that he had an unclean spirit. The word unclean means defile. In other words, something got into this guy's life that defiled him, that made him unclean. We could identify with this person more than we think. It was something that had gotten in the way. That didn't allow him to continue to move forward. Of course, words of this spread all over the place. And Mark takes us to, to the next place when considering all this. But I want you to understand the level of authority that is being expressed here and impacted through the lives of these people. Because in our day and age, it is easy to forget that Jesus is the one who possesses all authority, control, and power. It may be delegated to some people as representatives in your life for a season, but in the end, your life is governed by the righteous might of the Holy One of God. 
That is a statement that is true for you as anything else you can believe. Nothing can overwrite that. Nothing can ever change that. No aspect of your existence falls outside of his loving jurisdiction. No force that comes against you can withstand that authority. Do you believe that? Do you live that way? It's just something that we own in our lives. Now, we see the story, and the first thing that impressed people the most is that the level of authority that he had was unlike something that they could actually fit into an explanation. Everything that they saw to this point seemed to agree with Jesus, seemed to submit to Jesus. What kind of man and what kind of authority is this, they would ask. This is something weird. Not like anything we have ever seen before. You know, I always say that first impressions are lasting impressions. And it seems like the first impression that Jesus left was for these people to see that he was someone that had an authority and a power unlike nothing else they had seen before. And you say, listen, Moises, I understand that God is all powerful. I know that he's strong in my life. I know that he has the power to do mighty things, but I just like how loving he is. Jesus, to me, is adorable. But it makes a big difference. If you live a life of relationship with God, where you only receive the aspects of God that are loving and adorable, and never implement the idea that he is the biggest authority over your life that exists, you have a problem in relationship with God. You could, you could take on the benefit of having a love and kindness relationship with God. But if you miss the fact that he's in control and in full authority of our lives, you could end up missing a big gap in what God has in store for you. Do we see him that way? Someone whose advice we take or maybe you don't take? Remember doing, I remember doing a wedding one time, and the guy refused in premarital counsel. He refused to acknowledge that Jesus was God. And I love the, I, I, I like when people take in consideration the idea of, of, of doing a wedding, which is an institution of God, and they somehow want to do it outside of God. It's the most contradicting thing ever. I don't understand it. And I would, I, I, would, I would look at this guy and I would say, I can't do this. His wife is in tears in my office. I said, I cannot do this unless you tell me that we're doing this in the name of Jesus and that represents something. And I would tell him, in the name of who are we doing it? And I would keep saying it and his wife is crying and I would say, tell me in the name of who are we doing this marriage? And he was broken down, and he was, you could tell he was resistant. I said, I would walk out of this office right now, and we will not move forward with this wedding because I need you to understand that this is an institution by God that comes with an authority that you may not comprehend, but it's the one that we're going to declare when we unite you two in marriage. It is that important. You're like, Moises, why don't you just do the wedding, bro? Because it's an institution of God. It's not just the concept of a loving father, okay? There's a God who has all authority, who has set forth a path, a path for your life that we are to follow. 
And that path is meant to be followed in obedience, knowing that there's a God who controls it all. If those words seem unsettling, I understand. I could comprehend that, but they're true. We can't just relate to God from a level of relationship and not understand the truth of this gospel in our lives. And not comprehend that there's a God who's orchestrating your life to be something. You're like, but he loves everybody. Yes, he does. And he has all authority to do what he pleases to do in our lives and in the lives of others. Can you be okay with that statement? Are you okay to deal with that? Or are you saying to yourself, what kind of God is this? And where does this authority come from? Now, Mark chapter 27, verse 20, in verse 1, verse 27 and 28. Then they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all regions around Galilee. Our faith in God has to look and be different. It's not going to look the same. It should have a life-changing reaction to you where you're convicted about certain things, where you don't understand why you have to leave other things. It should have a life-changing effect in your life. You cannot continue to do the things that you were doing before. A fully devoted and committed life to God is going to look different than what it looks like today. You're going to have to give in to the authority. You're going to have to give in to the control. He's going to love you. This is not a question of love. It's a question of obedience and submission and surrendering our lives fully to the one who has our best interests at hand. Why have we misunderstood the exchange? (laughs) Why do we misunderstand the exchange? The benefit, the return on the investment. That if we just give our lives to God completely, he could do amazing things with it. After a dramatic demonstration over the kingdom of darkness, words of Jesus got out. They told people who witnessed this event that were so amazed, they spread Christ throughout the country. So we ask ourselves, why even put this detail, verse 27 and 28, where it says people were amazed by this? Where they say, what kind of doctrine is this? And it, you know, this, this is being told before any communication was around. I mean, before mass streams were around, you, you would almost say, Jesus, if you wanted to do this and spread it around the world, you should have probably waited a little bit longer. In fact, you should have probably fast-tracked technology. Because, man, if you think this got around back then, this would have got around today. We would have been in every news channel we would have been online we would I mean people would have been blowing up in social media I mean this happened 15 years 1500 years before the the world would even witness the birth of the first print press and you say why did Jesus not accelerate the communication of technology or not delay his coming to a time like now where this gospel could be spread around truthfully It's like the timing is a little off. And although technology is a great tool and it allows us to accomplish so much more, there's a potential downside to all of it. And that's the aspect of humanity. 
the video of the people telling it. The most impactful thing that could happen. I mean, today, AI could tell you about Jesus. But when I stand in front of you and tell you about Jesus, through my life experience, it's truly life-changing. And I believe as I was studying this, I believe that Jesus didn't want to leave that part out. He could have done this in so many ways to spread the word, but people were amazed, and they told everyone around the region, and that human touch mattered. Because what we see displayed through the life of Jesus is a constant human reaction. Usually when you dive into the life of Jesus in Scripture, you get two responses from the people who encounter him. It's either an amusement that leads to a following, or it's either a wanting to kill him, rebellious sort of attitude. You know what we don't see? It's mild amusement to Jesus. We either see people all in or people that don't want to be in at all and hate it and don't understand it. C.S. Lewis said this, on the one side, clear, definite moral teaching. And on the other, claims which, if not true, are those of a mega maniac compared to the whom Hitler was the most sane and humblest of men. That's what we're dealing with. Jesus operates in authority and he tells people not only are you healed, but your sins are forgiven too. And he challenges the narrative constantly, changing the atmosphere in the room in what he's trying to project in our lives. Understanding this authority will help us to stay away from the ignorance of receiving a savior through the idea of how much we admire how savvy he was at life. And understanding that there's a God who's operating in truth and in power now. You're like, man, Moises, what a birthday celebration of a sermon here. Yeah. You know, if our appeal to Jesus was only grounded on the idea of his amazing humanity, we will miss out on the most important part of him, which is that divinity. Because, I mean, if you look at it, a man who is merely a man and says the things that Jesus says would not be a great moral te teacher. He would be a lunatic, a devil straight out of hell. If he was just this loving persona saying these things, he would be a liar. When Jesus shows up on the, on, on the scene, he says, I am your authority. When someone presents themselves as your authority, you have two choices. Allegiance or rebellion. You either accept that authority and say, yes, you are my authority. Or you say, no, you're not. There's no halfway measure there. There's no midway, there, there's, there's no mild some a percentage of our allegiance some of you sit here today and listen to me speak and this authority concept and control concept feels uncomfortable but some of you feel this way simply because that because you've had experiences in your life where authority was presented before you and it was misused it hurt you it abused you 
and it did things in your life that you just didn't understand. A dad who never loved you, work relationships that broke down, and all these things piled up in your life, causing you to say, I will never give in to another authority. There's no way in my life that I will be dominated again by someone who said they would be my authority and did the things that they did to me. And that's painful. I acknowledge the pain of that. And I understand how difficult that can be. I want you to understand something. And these are, Rick Warren said some words that stuck with me when I read a book a long time ago that said, the first job of leadership is to love people. Because leadership without love is manipulation. And that might have been your experience. But that experience doesn't get to dictate who Jesus is. And his ability. As Salzer's Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what Rosie tells me to do. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's crazy because when life spins out of control, you want authority. Bash thinks I'm the best handyman that's ever lived in this earth. When something breaks in the house, he can't wait till I get home. I mean, it's crazy. I walk in the door, he won't even give me a kiss, hug me. No, he's like, we need to fix something, dad. He thinks I can fix anything in the house. Puts a lot of stress on me. Got to watch a lot of YouTube. Like, son, I'll be back. Give me one second. I'm, I'm going to grab my superpowers. But when things get difficult, we want authority. When we can't get a hold of it and we can't control it, we want someone to take charge. When things get really hairy, and really difficult where we can't see the path and we can't understand it, we start looking for help. And authority sometimes is scary, but it's what we all need. And authority has been presented before you today, so what will it be? Allegiance or rebellion? Don't make the verse on Revelation chapter 3 true. It speaks of a group of people. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like, since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's no mild allegiance here. This gospel had a reaction where people understood the authority and the power and the control that was presented before them. And they had one choice to make. Some people either wanted to kill that man or some people fell down to their knees and said, God, I'm so glad you're here. 
If you're tempted today to step away because you're afraid of authority, I would ask you to reconsider. Your past experiences do not determine who your Savior is today. Thank God for that. Look at what kind of king he is. Look at the way he rules. He's not a king that wants to bound you. He's a king that's here to set people free. I'll finish up with this. This French philosopher, Gustave Thibon, said this. You feel your head in. You dream of escape. But beware of, the mir of mirages. Don't run or fly away in order to get free. Rather, dig in the narrow place which has been given to you. You will find God there and everything. God, knows, God does not float on your horizon. He sleeps in your substance. Vanity runs, love digs. If you fly away from yourself, your prison will run with you and will close in because of the wind of your flight. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. There's a reason to respond to that authority. We have God who is coming at us with all authority. He comes at us with full control. And I asked this morning, would that be allegiance or rebellious this morning to you? Are you going to align yourself to the truth of that authority? Or are you going to say, not for me. I got my own plans of what I want to do and accomplish in my life. It's your decision. Two ways. Allegiance or rebellion. Sadly, no middle role. People understood that. He wants it all. Not just a portion. Because he gave it all. Not just a portion. Bow your heads with me as we pray. I, I want to give anyone who would like the opportunity real quickly to say to God, I want to give you full, full allegiance today, Jesus. I understand that you're a loving Savior, that you have many plans for my life, and maybe I haven't operated or worked or lived my life like you had full control and authority over it. So I want to give anyone in the room the opportunity to lift your hands right where you're at and say, God, I give you my full allegiance. I'll wait a few moments. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Praise God. There's a God in the room that doesn't want a little control. He wants full control. That feels unsettling and scary, but just be thankful and hopeful that I'm not the one asking for it. That is the almighty God, the all-knowing God, the all-loving God, the Savior of the world who's asking for it. So as we pray this morning, I want the church to repeat after me so that we can declare that the authority of the living Father, the living God, the living Son of God, the Holy Spirit is in this place ruling over us and that we're fully committed as a church to that. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning. I pray that you would change our hearts, transform us into willing, submitted 
followers of you. Let us devote our entire lives to you. We want you in control. Rule over us with authority. We want your plans to be done. Help us, God. Forgive us, Lord. Allow us, Jesus, to understand you, to, to allow you to be part of our lives fully. Thank you, God, for your authority. Thank you for your control. Thank you for knowing it all. We're so thankful and relief that we have a God like you. We praise you and give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God praise this morning.